Now we come to the final series of Love is Land <laughs> from, those, from Mount Kenya, <laughs> especially. I didn't know if it even extends to the women. But we've been talking about um, the fact that when we come to romantic relationships, people come with the expectation or with, with, with the hopes and desires that we're going to be on a romantic island, isn't it? It's going to be a love island. And when we get there, the inevitable speed bumps of life and issues that come cause us to feel as though the love island has turned and we are now marooned on a desert island. And we've been asking ourselves, how does that happen? And how do we get back to what is good? And is it possible to have a relationship that lasts? We have said that when we come into romantic relationships, we come with a box of dreams, an invisible box of dreams that has our hopes, it has our desires, it has aspirations. And when we come with it, inevitably after some time in our relationship, we turn this box over to our partner and to our spouse and we tell them to make our dreams come true. Sadly, we also receive a box from them and they also say, make this dream come true. And so we end up in that double chokehold where we have expectations and a debt-debtor relationship where whatever we do, when it's done for us, we feel like it's all supposed to be done. You're paying a debt. You owe me this one. And so gratitude is thrown out of the window. It's the first thing that is thrown out of the window. And we are saying that uh, we need to get this gratitude back and we need to get our relationships back on track. We have also said in the, in the last weeks that we... Look to what Jesus says. Jesus said, love one and as I have loved you, so you shall love one another. And we'll be saying, if we can love one another, as Jesus loved us, even when we were lost, even when we were wrong, even when we were against him, then if we do that, we will be getting ourselves back to relationships that last. And then we also talked about the principle of mutual submission. And we say that God has designed marriage to be an example of his love to us. That when we have a husband loving his wife, prioritizing the needs of his wife, nurturing her as his own body, then he demonstrates how God loves unconditionally us. And that when a woman in a marriage relationship submits to her own husband, then she demonstrates how we respect, how we uphold God highly. And if we do these two things, then we will see our relationships moving to the kind of to relationships that last. And so we've talked about loving as Christ did. We've talked about mutual submission. And then last week we said our desires, our hopes, our needs are legitimate. And so when they are not met, what we should do, we said if we are not met, then they become frustrations, right? And we say that what we do with those frustrations is that we take them and throw them to God. And we ask God very, in a very uh, honest and saying it as it is in a very raw form, we throw these things to God. And when we do so, we have said that he not only begins to work on our hearts, <laughs> uh, we've even had today, atazima. <laughs> he begins to change those circumstances but also in the event of those expectations, they end up being changed, isn't it? Sasa chapati is your needs anymore, but they were before, eh? And so God is able to do any of those things. Deals with us, deals with the situation, or deals with your spouse 
to bring a change in the circumstances that are in, you're in. And so we've asked ourselves, we've given ourselves homework, we've said, first, find out what's in your box, then take some time to share with your spouse what's in your box, and when that is done, listen, do not defend, try and understand what it is, because I was saying, when you truly understand what your spouse wants, if you love them, or because you're committed to them, you will inevitably want to do something towards that, even if it's to come back and to discuss it and to see what's a, a good thing that will uh, bring you success. And so continue to do that, as we've said, share, know what's in your box, share it, and your frustrations, continually pour them to God, and he will show us uh, mercy. Today, we want to close this series and talk about possibly the most important choice that every couple will make in the course of their relationship. Possibly the most important choice you will make uh, as a couple in a relationship. I know we're looking at romantic relationships and therefore couples, but it's also a choice that you can make even when you're single and not searching like Mungai, or even when you are single and searching or engaged or in whatever situation, perhaps previously married and divorced, it's a choice that you can make. And so this has the potential to revolutionize your relationships, even with your children, with your colleagues, with your employees, with your neighbors. This is something that will change, has the potential to change your life. It's a relationship hack, eh? So let's get into it. Now, in every relationship at some point, a gap will arise between two things. And the gap is between what we expect, okay? And what we, well, let me try because it might help some, all right? So there'll be a gap between what we expect, our expectations, and then eventually what we experience, all right? So there's an expectation I have of someone, but whatever they do and however they do it, usually there'll be a gap between those two. And, you know, for example, it will be like you, you promised you'd consult me before making any major purchase, but all of a sudden now I'm seeing new sofas in the house and you've not told me anything about it. <laughs> or you say that you'll pick children um, after school, but now I'm having to do it again because you're too busy. Yeah? Even though it's an expectation or something you said you'd do. You said you'd be ready to leave at a certain time, but I'm always waiting for you. So there's always a gap between what we expect and what we experience in each situation. And now, every time we have that gap, we make a very important choice. In fact, sometimes we don't know we are making this choice. It seems like just a reaction, but uh, it's a choice we make nonetheless. And this choice is usually that we assume the worst. So because we expected you to be here by, to be ready by 6 p.m., and now you're not, or you promised to do something, and now you have done, done it, there's a gap there. Now what I do with that gap is I tend to fill it by assuming the worst. And so I'll be like, oh, she's done it again. He's so mean. He is so insensitive. I mean, why was I expecting anything different? After all, that's what he always does. 
So because they fail to do something, we immediately begin to assume the worst of that situation. You know, we'll just say, he's not serious, it's just the way he is. And we, we, even though it seems to be, like I said, even though it seems to be a natural reaction, it is one that we make a choice over. And when you do make that choice over and over again in a relationship, then what tends to happen is that we will create an environment of suspicion, of mistrust, and an environment where we have doubt and speculation. So somebody does something and certain ones because I'm so used to that thing happening and I get to the point where I begin to, um, to even feel like they are not serious. Because of what you are continually having uh, as suspicions towards me. Because you begin to feel like, yeah, maybe I can't do this thing. Yeah? So we, 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 we would then wonder, because even I find that naturally, in fact, when I was thinking about this, I found that I have a lot of that. Somebody's a bit late, no, no, hey, they don't know they're supposed to be here at this time, or they borrowed this thing of mine. Am I the only one with those sorts of thoughts? Now, <laughs> it's like me. But there's that always assuming the worst of that circumstance and of that person. And so I'd like to ask us is there a more godly way and productive way of dealing with this gap between expectations and our experience? And to answer this today, I want us to turn us to one of the most famous passages of Scripture. It's one of those, sometimes we assume very romantic passages, but I want to warn you, viewer discretion is advised here, that there's nothing romantic about this Scripture. Eh? It sounds good when it's read on, in weddings, but uh, today it might just change the way you feel and think about those romantic comedies and those Disney classics that present you know, love in a certain way. Eh? So let's turn to it. Eh? It's what we call, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it's what we refer to as the love chapter. You're familiar with this one, eh? Allow me to read. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 from verse 4 going to verse 8. It says, love is patient. It says, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. So as you can see, this love, this passage tells us that love is a deliberate action. Nothing lovey-dovey here, rosy and all that. It has nothing to do with feelings, right? First, this passage describes what love does. Eh? So it tells us what love does. And it tells us that love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. And, you know, when you're emotionally in love, this sounds, feels like it's obvious, but when challenges come later, you will find that patience and kindness towards your spouse becomes one of those things that are difficult. And yet it tells us love is kind. Love is patient. I know someone who says, actually, when I say I'm loving my wife, I'm being patient with her. When I'm saying I, 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 I love my husband, I'm being kind to them. And you know those things, by the way, you find 
some small things, the kindness that we say, those magic words, please, thank you, you know, those words of appreciation, try and sign. Do you use them with your wife or your, or your husband? Kindness. Kindness. Love is kind. One, 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 one marriage hack. I gave you another one the other time. Eh? Pray with your spouse. Remember? Now the other one is say good morning to your spouse when you get up. You know, you might have been together and all that, but when you get up, say good morning. It's a polite thing. It's a kind thing. But it, say good morning in the morning. Eh? Amen, married couples? I'll check next time if you're doing that. I can tell you it helps. But that's what love does. All right. Then it tells us what love is not. Okay? It tells us love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor. It says love is not self-seeking. So it tells us, basically, it's not about caring much for my own interests. It's about looking out for the best interests for your partner, for your spouse, for your colleague, for your children, for others. That's what love does. It, it goes on to say uh, that love is not easily angered. There are just some people who make you angry, and it keeps no records of wrong, and it does not delight in evil. In other words, if you love someone, even though they'll inevitably offend you, they'll inevitably make you angry, love does not do those things. Amen? So like what you're doing in the other month of offense. You do not take offense. You choose not to take offense. You choose to let the past be past. And you choose to then love the person which is not. So love is not doing those things. And then we get to verse 7, and it tells us what love now does. So what love is, what love is not, and now what love does. And I want you to read the, the always with me. Yeah? So it says this. It, everybody say always. It always, always protects. It always trusts. And love always hopes. And then finally, always perseveres. Now, I think we could have no challenge with this, eh? but for that word, always, 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 always. I mean, how do you protect always the same person who perhaps hurts you the most? How do you trust always perhaps the person who has let you down and continues to let you down? How do you hope always when the situations and circumstances in your marriage seem like easy as easy to, we can't to bore these ones. How do you always persevere when it feels like the best thing in this situation is for me to walk out? Always seems to raise the bar to the point where me and you are wondering, is this practical? Or is this just something that we know it's in the scriptures, Apostle Paul wrote it, but hey, we live in the 21st century, always Always, it says. And so this has not just nice romantic words for weddings that we read. It's actually um, telling us that when we have this gap between expectation and experience, 
This is the sort of thing that we need to do, and that's what love is. Now, this passage gives us uh, the key to the most important decision we'll ever make in our relationships. See, in every relationship, like I said, when there's that gap, we tend to assume the worst. But it's actually, a rela- it's actually it just seems natural, but there's a point of, there's a narrow point of decision from which you move from choosing to react or respond a certain way. And so if you choose, at, at that point of decision, if you choose to do what this passage says, instead of assuming the worst, then you will turn to believing the best of someone. And so when somebody has failed you, when your expression is not met, then you take the choice to believe the best and perhaps say, okay, she's late again, but maybe you know, there's some reason for that, and when I get the full picture of everything, I'll be able to understand, right? Maybe he said those words that are so unkind, but perhaps if I really got to understand you know, the entire situation, I perhaps will see where they're coming from. And so we choose at that point to believe what is best, thinking that when I get the full picture, I will be able to understand the, 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 the explanations that are around what has happened. And so now I know some of you are thinking, <laughs> that sounds like Tunacheza character, spiritual mambo jambo, cheat yourself into something. And yet, this is how uh, the author of the Bible says that we should do. And we sort of think people take advantage of others, isn't it? We take advantage of each other very easily in, in all those settings that I've mentioned. And so how, how can I be asked to do this all the time that I'll choose to believe the best of someone and that will help me in the way that we relate. Now, there's a business consultant and author called Marcus Buckingham, and he wrote a book called One Thing You Need to Know uh, About Great Managing, Great Leadership, and Sustained Individual Success. This is a secular author, right? And in this book, he cites an interesting study that was carried out in the US and Western Europe and Canada, and it involved couples it was done over a 20-year-old, uh, 20-year period, eh? but it involved couples who had successfully gone the distance in their marriage. That at 20 years of marriage, not just those surviving, let's live with each other. No, they were thriving and loving each other. Those are the couples that they uh, used in this study. And what they did, they were trying to uncover what is that common denominator among them all that made these marriages work so well, right? So that's the study they went out to do over a long period of time. But one of the assumptions they were making is that perhaps what has happened here is these couples have downgraded their expectations of each other and they have chosen Kujua, okay, fine, I got married to him. He's not that great, but to Kohapata Twendele. Or she's not exactly an angel, but let me just leave. Let's, 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 let's agree to agree. You know the ones you should this is what I have, I will live with it. I'm going to lower my expectation. I'm gonna have a more realistic view of this person. That's the assumption that they made that these people had. That's the hypothesis that they had, yeah? But what they found in their study was exactly opposite. See, as part of the study, they asked the couples to fill a survey. And what they were going to fill is, you rate yourself on a certain thing, and then rate what you feel about your partner on that thing. And so you'd find that what they found is that the couples had 
uh, what seemed to be an unrealistically positive view of their spouse. This means that, for instance, if a husband said, may I give myself six over ten for being tidy and all that, their spouse, their wife, gave them actually more rating than what they had rated themselves. In other words, their spouses had a, that very positive view of the other one. And I know this, this shocked the researchers, of course, and even ourselves, because in most situations in our marriages, we're trying to defend ourselves. Because I'm going, you're always, you're always. You're not making the you always. And most times, we're trying to defend ourselves, isn't it? But here is a situation where they found that the, the, the spouses were actually rating their partners higher. In fact, one of the conclusions they came up to make later is that love is actually blind. <laughs> you know, because it looked like the spouses who really loved each other did not see the faults of the other person. They seemed to just uh, uh, have that unrealistically positive view of them. And the study went on to say that this unrealistically positive view, what it tended to do uh, was that it created an upward spiral of love, okay? Because I see you this way, it created an upward spiral of love. That because I have this positive view of you, then I have a conviction that you are the one for me. And because I have this conviction, then I become secure in this relationship. I feel like, okay, I'm vested here, I'm not going anywhere. Because of this security, then I then uh, build a trust for this other person. Because I'll say, okay, I'm secure, I can share, I can open up, and so I begin to trust the other person. And as I trust the other person and open up and share my life even more, this trust again scales me up to higher intimacy, right? So I'm, I start with a conviction, the conviction brings some security, the security brings trust, the trust brings intimacy, and then intimacy causes us to have a great marriage because we now share uh, one with another. And so it has an upward spiral of, of love because of just having that view of, um, positive view of my partner. And so this study, secular study, remember, eh, recommended finally, it said that when this is a gap between expectation and experience, what I need to do is this, is to find the most generous explanation for that. <laughs> June is laughing. <laughs> is to find a very generous explanation for the other person's behavior. Because when I do, it then creates that upward spiral of love. In other words, do not assume the worst. You know, the imperative is to try and assume the worst. The initial reaction is that. But they're saying, believe the best. And yeah, I, know, I know it does not mean that you will not seek to sort things out and all that, eh? but let your first thoughts be, ah, but let it be like, okay, what could it be? All right? That's a significant point here. We are stopping ourselves. It's a small window, but even before I react, I'll stand back and say, let me think of the best possible explanation for this before I accuse the other, my partner, before I begin to think the worst of them. And that small window is the one that makes a difference. Okay, I know it's not the easiest thing to do because, you know, we all have baggages, we all have experiences, these things have happened in the past, they do it again, the first thing is to react, isn't it? But what I'd like you to understand is this, eh? that it's still a choice. 
That small window is still a choice. I know some of you have read Steve Covey who says the, the, the small window of determining your, 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 your reaction, being proactive. It's the same thing here. At that point I choose, I'm going to believe the best for this other person. Because you see, it's always easier to, you know, to assume the worst. And the problem with the worst is that it creates a downward spiral. It creates a downward spiral of love. Because what happens is that um, the first thing I do is I start to ask, why are they acting so badly? When you are, I begin to be suspicious. So I create suspicion. I begin to be uh, even right down to, because he's not called me and it's my birthday, he's not being any, when is he having a, an affair? You know, it's beginning to cause suspicion and think, you know, exaggerated thoughts at that point. Eh? And you begin to ask, what else are they hiding from me? What's, you know? And so the circumstance of suspicion is that when we have this suspicion going on and on, then it comes down to what psychologists call the confirmation bias, where you are now looking at every experience and situation to look for evidence to confirm what you already believe. You get So ataki pita pale, and he just swings around the door a certain way. Ah, this guy is bad, you know, just, or he just see, unona iva, unona. So there's a, the suspicion brings a situation of where you're actually just looking for things to confirm that that's the case. Because I cannot win, isn't it? Because somebody feels that whatever they say, it's actually just going to be confirming the other, the other person's uh, suspicions. And so we come from suspicion and we come down to a situation of um, confirmation bias. And then what that does is that we get to a situation of mistrust. I know if you're in a person who's always looking out for, see, see, see that, you are in a context of mistrust, and you end up walking around the eggshells, around them, and it's not a good situation. So you come from suspicion to that issue of confirmation, and then to, a, to an, an issue of uh, mistrust. And it's very bad when you're in, in relationship where somebody does not trust you at all. In fact, what happens with mistrust is that you then accidentally create an environment that sets up the person to do exactly the things that you are fearing they will do. You know what they call a self-fulfilling prophecy? Because now you're always in a context of they end up doing the, exactly the same thing that you did not want them to do. And so it comes from suspicion, confirmation bias, mistrust, and then situations of self-fulfilling self -fulfilling prophecies. And that is when the very things you fear begin to happen. And so that's why we are saying that it's important to have, to assume the best or to, to, um, to believe the best of a person. Of course, certainly we've said here before that there are some contexts that are different. We've talked about, we've said, if you're in situations where there is violence, where there's a danger to your life, where you're consistently just being put down and the other person is not reasonable, then there's a situation where you will need help beyond what you can do yourself. And we've said that even here in Mavuno South, we have, if, if you're in such situations, come and see us, your pastors. Like I told you, Pastor Jade is, is a professional counselor and, and therapist. And 
if, even if not herself, she's able to link you up to other people who will bring interventions, including engaging the authorities if it's need be. And so I am not saying that close your eyes to such things and stay there and be plummeled to death. No, I am saying that in situations where you are uh, with your spouse and, you know, reasonably, then believe the best and begin to build up the, the upward spiral of love. So my question is, you know, that your choice, it's your choice. It's your choice. And will you choose to assume the worst of your spouse or will you make a commitment to believe the best? And this truth might not just save your marriage, but it might deliver, it will deliver to you the relationship you always wanted. Now, I, I was talking, I was just asking my wife the other day, how are people receiving it all? Are we seeming to be talking about utopia? Nah, we are on earth. <laughs> Especially for the married couples. But I'd like to encourage you to do these things. Because like we've said, they are founded on scripture. If the word of the Lord is telling us this is what love does, that's what we ought to do. If the word of the Lord tells us it's mutual submission, that's what we need to do. Because if we do not do those things, then we will not get the relationship that lasts. We will not be in a happy marriage. And it takes effort. It takes um, uh, time to uh, you know, engage in various ways. One of the things I'd like to recommend is we listen to a lot of anti-marriage anti messages. Fungua FM station, online stories. Oh, so and so has done this to their wife. Now there's a baby mama here involved. I don't know it's what. Somebody has shaded so and so because we see them, isn't it? I think even just this, this last week we've had a nominated senator and somebody else, it's so things, isn't it? Someone else of it too. Or you hear gory stories. So, yes, but when we entertain them too much, they cause us to think that marriage is that way. And we shouldn't do that. And the other thing is that we should look at the scriptures that we've shared, study them, look at them and see what God directs you to do.